You are listening to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank our sponsor, MSP Ignite. MSP Ignite offers a peer group experience that is unique to managed service providers in the technology industry. If you are serious about implementing a model for success through sharing and collaboration of best practices, this is the best way to do it. Head on over to msp-ignite.com to get more information. All right, on to the show. Welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined this week by Bill Mulca Mulcahy. Yeah. Yeah. Father uh, Mulcahy can... from MASH, Chris, if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to, yes, I actually do now that you say that. Well, welcome Bill for being on the show. I was really looking forward to this conversation. This is by, by far the only topic that we haven't really touched on because we've kind of glazed over that security has demographics or that it is sensitive to the size of an organization. So based on the conversation or the question you asked in the town hall uh, in our <clears throat> MSP Ignite town hall, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to expand on, I'm an MSP, but I'm also an SMB. How do I wrangle cybersecurity both for my organization and my clients? And one of the questions that you asked was, where do I start? How do I, the, you know, the controls seem so overwhelming. Uh, how do I, how do I shrink that down? So it's palatable. And you hear this a lot. It's expensive, right? A lot of organizations will tell you to do cybersecurity. Well, it's expensive. And that leads to this other piece that happened in the last episode I did, which was, have you ever heard of the term infosec poverty? Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, I have not. No. Okay, so infosec poverty is this idea that says, in order to protect your organization, you need the following things to be secure. So I'll use an example, like let's just say the firewall is going to cost $50,000. Now, obviously, this is more of an enterprise type statement, but let's just say it costs $50,000. You have $20,000 left in your cybersecurity spending what are you gonna spend it on? Because the, to get the first level or the next level up on where you're at to reduce the risk is 50 grand and you have 20, where do you spend the money? So if I think about that in more of the SMB space, maybe it's not so much driven by a dollar cost, but more about a resource availability cost. So if we implement a new firewall or we add a new SIM tool or we have a new process and procedure, I think infosec poverty can suddenly come into play in the SMB space as well, because you don't necessarily have more FTE resources to address the need for what is going to improve, say, your cybersecurity posture. So I think to some extent, and I'll let you phrase the question, because I know I just kind of went a little bit all over the place with some of the things that we've talked about, but as we look at cybersecurity being everybody's problem, everybody's challenge, and everybody's got to participate in the solution. What is your biggest challenge that you feel needs to be addressed sooner than later as it pertains to cybersecurity and being a smaller MSP? 
this, it's actually, uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head, it's the resources. Um, as we've been going through this practice internally, um, there are three of us that are involved. We're an eight, eight uh, person company. And, you know, been in business 20 plus years, we thought we were pretty secure. Um, obviously, I've spoken to you before about having clients that don't really need to adhere to any type of uh, compliance. Sure. But we need to be there. Um, and we are spending a lot of time just trying to get our own place in order. Um, so to look at it, multiply that by 55, 60 users, um, I get a little nervous about how we're going to be able to provide the type of security we're trying to set up for ourselves for them as well. Right. I, I think it's one of those things where it's, you know, where do you start, whether the security controls are, you know, what you're looking at from one framework or another, you know, security awareness training, obviously that's a big one. Um, skills, skills assessment on your own staff, you know, the last thing you want to do is decide to buy a new SIM solution or, or even just an, embrace a new firewall vendor and go, oh, I didn't think about the learning curve that this might be for my staff to embrace this new solution stack. So, I think the area that I come come away with when I think about FTE resources and, and cons just consumption of resources, because it's cybersecurity, right? Like it can be all consuming. Like you think about what an MSSP is, they've taken uh, an element of an MSP's portfolio and said, we're going to be only that one thing. And all of our staff that used to handle things from like how to get it so that you can print again, or updating a server with a Windows patch cycle is now say exclusively focused on what's the firewall doing. And that's it. And they've standardized on say one firewall across 50, 100 clients. I mean, now it's you know cookie cutter to configure the firewall. It's cookie cutter to set rules up by default. So I think about the easiest place I think there is to start is to think about things from a, uh, what do we have now? that often gets overlooked as being part of the security solution. So if you think back to when you started your MSP, you probably didn't have a line item or a break in your line items for the cost per user per month model or cost per device per month model, where it said, and this is where the security services start, antivirus, firewall management, patching of servers. We called it managed services and we just blanket you know, shotgun approach and said, all of these things get lumped in together. And we never said, this is managed services for keeping you operational and lights on, you know, updated drivers, productivity type stuff from the things that were more about preventing bad things from happening. So I think that's the number one place for any MSP, let alone a small one to start is to go look at your portfolio of services and really laser in on what of those services are actually security focused? Because then you go, oh, wait a second. I've got 30% of what I'm doing is already in that category of security services. Now, how do I make that something that my clients understand? Because up until this point, they assumed I was doing everything anyways. Um, I don't know. Does that does that help like shrink it a little bit before you expand it back out into sort of how do we do it on a larger scale? It, it does. And uh, we have kind of um, since our inception, we've added tools as we've seen needed. And we do have, you know, we standardize on certain tools. 
Um, but you're you're right. We don't separate any of that security stack out. You know, we have our firewalls, we have our endpoint security, we have um, you know persistent application monitoring, sure. um, the RMM tools. But that's all been from you know a point of break fix, right? To migrating to an MSP to making sure we have the security in place and never really educating the client on the fact that, listen, we've added an ad. And of course, we, you know, we've upped our price a little bit, but uh, we don't have that area where we can say this is an area of, of, of security focus for you sure. that we've worked on. And, and maybe saying the word security focused, you know, has a tendency to get um, over overused, right? So my, my goal, if, if I was starting an MSP today, I wouldn't lead with, you know, we're a security minded MSP. Uh, we put security first. Well, I, as a prospective client, I surely hope so. And I really hope I don't have to read it in your mission statement to, to get that vibe from you, right? So I think about like the way the CIS um, uh, group puts it, you know, the no protect prepare. And so I think about the protect piece and I think that all MSPs, the good ones, right? All of them would say that they have a priority to protect their client. Because if you're not protecting your client, you're basically at least putting at risk them being your client, even if that's the only thing you put at risk. So going back to whether you're breaking out, you know, line items in, in a managed services agreement or on what you're charging for the per user per month so they can see the security words, I think this gets into, you know, a, an emphasis on like, you said it, educating the users, you know, why, what are those products and services that you've put into their environment, right? Like gone are the days of the white label, right? We no longer are saying, well, you might do this maybe, maybe for a phone solution or something that's, you know, doesn't really have any bearing of who the vendor really is. But I think in today's day and age with security, the last thing you want is a uh, vendor, vendor neutral or a vendor agnostic model to the client when something happens. And now you're the only person that can take the blame because the vendor is you. Right. So I think about the educating of the users. And then the second piece I think that goes with it, with it is secure baselines or security baselines. So I think about like, what's the minimum that you put into any one environment where you go, okay, for a 10 user or 20 user, it doesn't really matter how many, you know, they're gonna get this endpoint protection, they're gonna get this uh, MDM, they're gonna get this, like, like there's maybe a half a dozen things that you look at and you go, okay, with that, are we covered as a baseline? Do you feel confident that while you could add other things, are the basics covered, right? Like worst case scenario, you're getting notified that the, the endpoint was compromised as opposed to getting an email that says at two o'clock this morning, it's now 10 a.m., uh, you know, client X was completely crippled, right? You, so I think that protect model is, is really a, a big part of it. And, and you mentioned this before, the, the incident response, right? Backups, business continuity, you had that stuff in place and, you know, you, you gave some examples of, of clients that you've had to, restore from a backup or, or get back online from backups. And what's interesting is if we go back five plus years, <clears throat> restoring data was, was even hard to do um, sometimes, right? Yeah. Like even if you had good backups, it didn't mean that you could just get right back online really fast. 
now we have a new problem, right? Now it's not a question of not getting you back online. The question is, where did the data go that was exfiltrated from the organization? And what are the consequences or repercussions of that? So without going down the rabbit hole on that front, I go back to the, the CIS model, the first five, six controls where you get into things like asset inventory, uh, vulnerability assessment on the environment, you know, and when I say vulnerability, I'm like, do, do you know what's there? Like, I think that goes right. back to the inventory, um, least privileged access. Um, and again, you know, I, I don't want to um, over, I don't want to dwell on these things, right? Because I think we all kind of get it. But when I think about like just the asset inventory part, these are questions that you probably ask yourself, do you know what's connected to the network? Do you know what software is installed? What are they even allowed to install? Um, do you know if administrators are using strong passwords? Do you know if the users are using strong passwords? Uh, do you know if there's other platforms like online platforms being used in that work environment? Like you find out through the grapevine that they're using Salesforce. And oh, by the way, they use single sign-on with 365 to make it easy. You know, where's your liability and risks with some of that that might be addressed? And then do you know where they store the most important data? And I'm like, we're just talking about knowing the environment. That's say step one. So I was thinking about what you said. And I think that one of the things that would help me if I was trying to think about a security focused or a secure uh, baseline is asking the questions for the uh, no protect recover or the no protect defend, however you want to say it and do that exercise with every client that I have and go, am I comfortable with what I, what I know, what we protect and what we need to be able to respond on backups, that kind of thing. Right. And just do that exercise across the board. We have been, and I guess Chris, really the, the question I had, you know, obviously with the, the, um, resources internally here. So we're trying to get uh, to a point where, I, I mean, we know the inventory, do we have it uh, documented in nice clean spreadsheets like we're doing now here through this exercise? No, sure. but is for, for a small business such as us, do you think to go through the implementation group one for the first 10 or, or 18 controls is okay, or should we try to do as best we can to hit all three of them? So I'm going to say that this is an unfair, uh, not an unfair question. It is unfair because you're an MSP. So I would say as an SMB that I would target group one first, because that gives you a path to success of completing controls that are considered reasonably doable based on a security maturity model. Part two of that would be as you're going through it. So for example, we talked about this on the town hall, you've got your uh, security awareness training, right? That was when we talked about last week. And within that, there are nine sub controls. For group one, you have to complete eight of nine. Groups two and three is nine of nine. So you're going to have controls that are going to force you to do most of, if not all of the sub-controls for group one. So when you look at the control set, the question to ask yourself is, am I looking at this through the lens of what I'm capable of doing 
versus what is the minimum I need to do to satisfy group one. I think the luxury that you have as an MSP is that many of the tools and resources that you use to be successful as a small MSP, a lot of large organizations don't have those tools. So when you think about how these, this framework was written, the capacity or capability of an MSP is quite a bit different than a lot of the organizations that this framework was intended to help because these tools require a specific skill set that MSPs by default would have. That's why they're MSPs. So I also know, and I said this before, the whole InfoSec poverty, uh, CIS put together their implementation guide. And one of the things that they did a really good job of is they used a lot of examples for tools that are free. So if you think about like a InMap or, or like even like Spiceworks, right? Like I'm not trying to say you should go use Spiceworks, but you've, you're, we're talking about products and tools that are out there that allow you to achieve what the control is requiring you to do to satisfy that level of security without necessarily spending any money on products and services. And I think that's one of the myths that a lot of people believe is that in order to be secure, you got to spend a lot of money. So that's, that's how I would approach the, the security um, framework. I would also say that while we've spent a lot of time over the last year and even beyond on version seven of CIS, I think with the release of version eight this year, that has really made some clarity around what should we be doing as an MSP, even though they didn't write on there, this framework was written for MSPs. It's, we, we have found, um... You know, we, we got through the first six or seven controls of version seven and we've converted them over to eight. Yeah. Uh, but but we're starting now from one through uh, sequentially through the controls. Right. And it is much more clear, in my opinion. I, I would uh, agree. Yeah. So uh, that I have liked and that that has helped. So. Um, so so along those lines, another thing that comes up, um, we, we talk about going linearly through CIS and, and obviously now with version eight it doesn't get emphasized as much that these controls were still written in a linear fashion. A lot of the other frameworks are not written that way, right? They're not saying like you have, it doesn't say like for, for NIST 800, it doesn't say, please adopt access control before you tackle any of the other controls. The, the beauty of CIS version seven and version eight is because of the way they are laid out, the controls build on each other and they make it really clear as you're going through that, which in my opinion, makes it a whole lot easier to see that I completed this control and I see how it helps me complete the next one. Um, so, so kind of steps, you know, shifting gears a little bit. One of the things that you had asked me about uh, with regards to, you know, the size of an organization, you, you had mentioned one of your biggest challenges is both with clients and internally is this idea of training. Uh, whether you're doing it virtually or you're doing it in person and sort of, I don't want to say post-pandemic, but as people return to offices or they stay out of the offices, uh, in many cases, and you use the example that you've got clients that have uh, less employees in an organization doing more work than they did before. And now the question comes up, how do we find time to get in front of these end users that are now really busy because they're doing more? Um, so they can, so you can ensure that they're going through some of that cybersecurity awareness training to give you confidence. Like, hey, I'm not as worried 
that my weakest link is just people. So I've been thinking about that since the conversation earlier, like, you know, pretty 30 minutes ago. And one of the things that came to my mind when I was thinking about it is what are the things that your end users use that they are only scratching the surface of the product? Uh, I'll give you an example. I'm working with a client right now that has invested money in LastPass Enterprise. And when I was coming in as sort of like the CISO or cyber advisor, uh, VCSU cyber advisor, whatever you want to call it, they, uh, they gave me a, a shared password from LastPass so that I could log into their Google environment and start to do a security audit. Password was in plain text. I now have the password. I can change the password. A lot of things come into play. The client didn't understand the actual capability and beautiful model that the LastPass Enterprise product has for them because they'd never really learned how to use the product as more than a password manager. So I think about stuff like that, that's out there wide open, available to be consumed. If you got a client using LastPass, I use that as an example, only because I had that example, not to say LastPass is what they should be using. But just think about if you targeted their training and kind of focused or emphasized it on their work environment and the products that they're using. Now there's, now there's buy-in because you're also helping them become more efficient and effective with the tools that they have. And so I don't know if that's a great answer, but for me, it was like, I know I'm doing this. So I should at least be sharing it with say you like, Hey, don't make this about some random cybersecurity training that they need to do. Like, you know, you need to really be prepared for phishing campaigns. And it's like, yeah, but if I was properly using LastPass and some of these other things, how critical is me being aware of a phishing campaign when I use two-factor authentication across everything? That phishing campaign becomes less uh, dangerous because there's a lot more pieces to it now than just clicking on a link, feasibly. Yeah, yeah, I see your point. No, I'm not advocating that phishing campaigns are to be ignored and downplayed, but I mean, like, where do you focus, right? Because if I focus on doom and gloom, you're going to ignore me, right? If I put the fear, use the 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 fear and the and and bad things will happen. People just start ignoring it. And, and the yeah. reason being, the biggest reason I think is because no one does anything when it's a big corporation. You know, we didn't stop using, uh, we didn't stop shopping at, at Target when they had a breach. Next day, we still operated as normal. We didn't stop, we didn't switch cell phone carriers when, you know, AT&T or T-Mobile or Verizon, they all three have had a breach. So it raises a question, you know, if we focus on those things, what, what kind of response are we going to get from our employees and our clients? Right. Right. Yeah. Th and that's, uh, that's where I have to do some work. Um, you know, because it, it is the fear factor, redundant stuff. Uh, we we're sick of, um, virtual meetings. Um, so I, I think you're right. If we can focus on what the client's using and how we can make them more productive and show them the benefits of the, of the tools that we're putting there. You know, Brian Sulo um, from Clock Tower Technology, I think it's Clock Tower Technologies. Uh, yeah. He and I had a, I, I might've even been on an episode of 1337, but he and I got talking about, uh, essentially the, the analogy was reconciling your checkbook. 
have you reconciled the products and services in your own and client's environment to go, wait, wait a second, I've got this, you know, remote connect tool. Why am I seeing team viewer and VNC or whatever the, you know, the apps are, because I think in the absence of like, you know, out of sight, out of mind, shadow IT happens, right? And it's not because our clients are intentionally choosing to do bad things. It could be as simple as they're talking to a vendor to get tech support. Um, I've gotten to the point now where even if they're products that we don't use, uh, for example, or we don't support, I still want to know. So one of the things that I implemented with several of our clients because of the, the, the apps that they use and the frequency that they need help, we've asked that they CC our ticketing system when they open or are emailing, like say Salesforce, not because I need to be involved in it. I just kind of want to make sure that we have a heads up when it's happening. It's kind of like having a policy for penetration testing and not just doing willy-nilly having a penetration test done and, and not knowing when it's going to happen. So I think those are areas where, you know, we can help the client and even internally take ownership of security being part of their responsibility. Like, hey, when you're done with the team viewer session, did team viewer get removed from the machine? You know, those kind of things. Right. Um, right. I think that's the other side of this too, uh, and, and 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 maybe I'll give you a chance here to you know if you have another question or a statement here. I, I think that if we don't allow and encourage participation and ownership of what cybersecurity maturity looks like from our clients and our employees, we're not going to achieve it anyway. Yeah, I think Chris, one of the one of the most beneficial. And I, I, I can't recall what town hall it was, but obviously I'm sure you know almost every one of our clients from the you know from the 10 user up to the our largest one have all received um, insurance renewals with the cyber the cybersecurity rider, which a lot of them don't even make sense, but it is bringing you know they come to us and say, well, will you sign off on this and fill out this information for us and do this work and then send it off to the insurance company. Right. And you guys all recommended <laughs> don't sign that. Uh, right. You know, work with them, but don't. And, and that was huge because a lot of our clients we've worked with and, and kind of explained the situation and, and they are taking a little bit more ownership and responsibility. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, so. I don't know if we spent a lot. I know we talked about this on a town hall. I don't remember which one. Last week's episode of 1337, we talked about cyber insurance being a no-brainer. And one of the things that Jeremiah brought up was, or actually it might've been Jeffrey Smith. I can't remember which one it was, but, but basically he said, cyber insurance does not like MSPs and MSSPs. Because you are a much bigger threat surface to that insurance premium than your client is, right? right? And so one of the things that they talked about that I think is really interesting, going back to the signing part of this, is you could have a scenario where your client says, we need you to answer all of these questions because our cyber insurance broker has put this in front of us to put in front of you. And now I have a policy that includes you, my MSP, in my premium. You know, that policy is including you in it. And so I think that's interesting. I think that's something that we're going to see more of. I think it's important to find out on every single one of your clients 
do they have cyber insurance? If not, are they getting it? And if they're not planning to get it, should they stay your client? And then that third part of that would be is really identifying if they have insurance, are you included in it in any way, shape or form? Like what are the indemnifications or the, the synergies for them having you included um, overlaps that kind of thing with your own policy and then also identifying where they're at conflict with each other, right? Because the last thing you want is to have a client with an insurance policy that if something happens, you're, you're butting heads trying to resolve and bring your client back to operational. All right. Well, Bill, as we are closing out this episode of MSP 1337, is there any last thoughts or questions that you wanted to get out there before we close it out? Not really. Not really. It's been informative. Uh, um, I, I really don't have any questions. I keep going to these town halls and learning a lot more. So that's beneficial. All right. Especially as an old guy, Chris, I'm one of... <laughs> One of the older MSP guys, and I'm learning a lot at this age. So it's you good. know the number of times so. I've heard somebody who thinks they're old <laughs> say they're an old, and you look at the MSP space, and it's been around all of what, if we're lucky, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. So we all get uh, cyber aged about the same rate, I think, when it comes <laughs> to the world we live in today. Because I mean, I remember when I was in my early 20s, getting a job as a uh, web application uh, administrator for web apps. And they called me a systems admin and I was responsible for everything, including the website. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't remember this being on, um, they're like, oh no, it's one of the same. And now you can go to school for like 20 different pieces of, of what right. used to be just one job title. So right. Uh, right. the world has evolved rapidly in the last 20 years. Well, Bill, I really appreciate uh, you coming on MSP 1337. For those of you listening out there, thanks and have a great week. Thanks, Chris.